Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast, made with Zencaster. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. The end of the year is rapidly approaching, and each time a new year rolls around, a lot of people start making resolutions for self-improvement. Common resolutions tend to revolve around better physical health habits, such as exercising more, eating healthier, or cutting back on alcohol and smoking. Likewise, some people make resolutions to better their mental health, such as finding better work-life balance or setting new boundaries in their lives, which is something I definitely need to do. But as you ponder your own resolutions, I have one more for your consideration, which is to have better sex. In one of the studies that I conducted this year, I found that more than half of Americans reported experiencing a sexual difficulty in the past year, and nearly a third reported that the quality of their sex life declined. But with the right set of resolutions, you can potentially address problem areas to enjoy the best sex of your life, boost passion in your relationship, and rekindle the spark. This episode is therefore going to be all about sexual New Year's resolutions. I am joined by Dr. Jessica O'Reilly. Dr. Jess is a Toronto-based sexologist, author, speaker, and television personality. She is host of the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, which I have appeared on several times, and she hosts the Intimately You program on City TV Fridays at midnight. She is also the resident sexologist at Astroglide and a dear friend. I can't wait for this conversation, so let's dive right in. Hi, Jess, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's exciting to be on the other side of the so-called mic, because usually I'm the one asking you all the questions, and I guess it's your turn now. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be fun to flip the script here a little bit. So thank you so much for joining me. It is always a pleasure to speak with you. But before we dive into all of the fun sexual New Year's resolutions, can you please tell us a little bit about your professional journey first? So specifically, how did you become a sexologist in the first place? How did you know this was the field for you? Well, ever since I was seven years old, I knew I wanted to grow up to, no, just kidding. Absolutely not. <laughs> I was uh, I was a high school teacher. So I was teaching at an alternative school, so public school for youth 16 to 21 years of age in downtown Toronto. And every day they came to me with concerns that intersected with sexuality. So relational issues, issues with abuse, issues with emotional manipulation, unplanned pregnancy, condom broke, all of that jazz. This is a long time ago. So I remember always drawing them maps to get to Planned Parenthood. So this was, I think, pre-Google Maps. (laughs) And I realized that, you know, I had a background in sexuality. I actually did my undergrad in sexual diversity studies. I had been the co-executive director of the Sex Ed Center at the University of Toronto. And even I, after all that training, I did not feel prepared to to support students. And so I realized that teachers are kind of just thrown into the fire, right, with very little training. So this was in Canada, and about 15.5% of teacher education programs in Canada required compulsory training for teachers in sexual health education at the time. I doubt it's that much better right now. I don't have the updated data. And so I I said, you know what, This, this doesn't make sense. You've got a textbook and a program and all the supports to teach math and English and sciences and history and geography and even civics, but not sexual and relational health. And sexual and relational health is something that every single student is going to have to address. So I went back to school to to study. And, you know, when I graduated, my hope was, oh, I'm going to work for the school board. I'm going to work for the Ministry of Education because here in Canada, each province mandates curriculum across the province, which is our equivalent of your state's 
So it's not, you know, board specific or school specific. And so I thought, oh, I can be a consultant. And of course they were like, um, no, <laughs> we're not interested <laughs> in you. And so I started speaking and I started writing and, you know, I started doing some television. And so it just blossomed into this brand. And now what I do primarily is speak. So I travel and I speak and I work with groups, primarily entrepreneurs and folks who run businesses who are successful in other areas of life and really want to excel and have fulfilling relationships. And so on the side, I still volunteer in schools and train teachers and go into teacher preparatory programs. But that's a labor of love <laughs> as opposed to one of, of business. Well, thank you for sharing that. I love your story. And I think you highlight a really important point, which is that we need to teach teachers how to educate students about sex. Because most don't really get a lot of training in that area. And, you know, we wonder why sex ed sucks so much. And part of it is because we're just not teaching the teachers, we're not equipping them with the skills that they need to have these comfortable conversations about sex in the classroom. So we appreciate the work that you do there. Thank you. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to give it like a huge amount of appreciation to teachers because I know that they're doing everything they can with the little with which they're provided. And I can tell you from teaching, those were long hours. Like you work so yeah. hard to develop lesson plans and to also have to go and seek out information that should be readily available to you is, is just another onus of responsibility that's unnecessary because we're avoiding teaching teachers, as you said, about sex and relationships. So true. Okay, Jess. So let's talk about having better sex in the new year. Now, I have a blog post I do about this at the start of each new year, and every year it gets a little bit longer because I've learned new things that people can do to improve their intimate lives. So I'm going to share some of my scientifically backed suggestions for getting your sex life back on track, and I'm going to ask you for your input on how we can put them into practice. So first up, resolve to be more vocal during sex. Research finds that people who make the most noise in bed tend to be the most sexually satisfied, in part because sexual noises convey what you like and what feels good so that you can get more of what you want. They also are a way that we can express appreciation for a job well done, right? So it's a form of positive reinforcement. However, a lot of people struggle with vocalizing during sex. You know, it just doesn't come naturally to them. So if you're not used to making noises in bed, how can you get more comfortable with say things like moaning or groaning or heavy breathing and, you know, doing this in a way that doesn't feel forced? Uh, that's a great question. So I think the best way you can become comfortable with any sexual act or experience or expression is to do it on your own first. And so I'll tell people to, you know, make a little bit more noise as you masturbate. Uh, maybe tune in to the sounds all around you, from your sounds to the background sounds to the music. Uh, speaking of music, sometimes just playing really loud music can help you to vocalize because you don't feel as self-conscious. It's like when you walk into a room and there's crickets versus you walk into a room and there's music playing. There's a totally different vibe, a totally different energy. You become less self-conscious about the way you look, about the way you feel, about the way you sound. So masturbate more, let those sounds flow freely, even consider exaggerating your sounds while you masturbate a couple of times to see what that's like. We have some research suggesting that folks who are deaf make very different sounds, copulatory vocalizations as we call them, than mm -hmm. folks who are hearing because they haven't been socialized to be told, okay, here are the appropriate sounds according to your gender identity, according to your sexual orientation, according to the type of sex you're having. And so I'm always reminded that 
I feel very relaxed in bed. I feel as though I, you know, have the latitude to really express myself, but I still am probably subconsciously adjusting my sounds to make them sound probably more feminine, right? Maybe I feel like letting out like a uh, grunt, but I might adjust it into a uh, because that's what I've been socialized to believe is acceptable. So the place where I'm going to feel less self-conscious the least self-conscious is when I'm masturbating. So practice during solo sex, making more noise. When you're with a partner, put your face in the pillow uh, if you're brand new to making sounds, right? And let those sounds emanate freely. Play loud music, as I mentioned. The more sounds you make, the more likely your partner is to make sounds. Praise your partner for their sounds. Let them know how much you like it. You know, in my work, I have a, a book co-written by Marla Renee Stewart. I have to plug it because this is actually her framework. And the book is called The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay. And one of the framework from which we begin in this book has to do with how your learning style affects your seduction or sexual or erotic style. So if you are an auditory learner, then sounds are going to be really important to your arousal and pleasure. If you are a more kinesthetic or physical learner, it might be more related to touch. And if you're more visual, of course, it's what you see. Now, none of us fits into neatly compartmentalized boxes. It's all, you know, there's going to be overflow. I can tell you personally, I'm an auditory person. I am so attracted to voices as opposed to the way people look. And so I need to convey that to my partner because my partner might have been socialized to muffle their sounds during bed. So really spread the love, spread the compliments. If you don't feel comfortable making sounds in bed or talking dirty in bed, start with just one sound at a time. And, and another great way to really put this into practice is when you're eating. So Western culture dictates that we must eat quietly with our mouths full. Well, some of us are from other cultures where if somebody eats quietly with their mouth closed, I'm worried they don't even like their food. Mm -hmm. So you know, eat on your own and may, let the sounds emanate with zero inhibition, like moan and groan. I have to tell you a quick story. So there's a bakery in my area and they are so fabulous. It's actually a coffee shop. And every month they have this special dessert that they've like, they often combine desserts, like a chocolate, strawberry, tiramisu. And I went and bought one. I can't remember which one it was because it was a while back and I'm eating it, eating it, eating it. And the owner comes over and says, oh, like he really cares about his, his crafts. He says, do you like it? And before I get a chance to answer, the girl next to me in the coffee shop goes, yeah, she does. Because <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was, you know, it was one of those, I'll have what she's having moments. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's great practice with food because maybe you're more comfortable letting those sounds emanate with food. But we have so many opportunities for expressing pleasure. And unfortunately, we stifle them. So maybe learn outside the bedroom and then parlay those skills into the bedroom. Yeah, I love all of that advice. And I think you're so right that a lot of times during sex, we're self-monitoring and we're feeling self-conscious about how we look, how we sound, all of these other sorts of things. And I know that this was part of my own sexual journey. You know, when I was younger, like I wanted sex to be this thing that kind of took place in a sensory deprivation chamber. I don't mean in a kinky way, but I mean in <laughs> the sense that I didn't want to hear anything because noises were very distracting. I didn't want to make noise myself because I felt self-conscious about it. I didn't mm -hmm. want the lights on, right? So, you know, everything was a distraction and it really took a long time for me to build up my own self-confidence and to kind of drop those feelings of insecurity that can allow you to be uninhibited in bed. And I know that that's 
a really tough thing. There isn't like one simple, easy, quick fix to this that works for everybody. But I think all of your advice is spot on that, you know, these are things you can practice on your own and then maybe translate that skill into bed with a partner. So thanks for sharing that great advice. Now, my next resolution is to mix things up in your sex life. A big part of the reason why sexual quantity and quality tend to decline over time in long-term relationships is that partners fall into sexual routines. Sex becomes predictable, maybe even a little bit boring. But research shows that the people who are constantly trying new things tend to be the most sexually satisfied and they have the greatest odds of keeping passion alive. So Jess, for people who might find themselves kind of stuck in a sexual routine, how do you break that and introduce more novelty into your sex life? And how do you do this in a way where you're going to suggest to your partner, hey, let's try something new, but do it in a way that they're not going to feel insecure or threatened or like you aren't enjoying sex with them anymore? I know people sometimes struggle with, you know, how do we bring that novelty into the bedroom? So what's your advice there? First on the communication piece, I always like to start with the positive, make an inquiry and then make your request. So I don't come in and say, it's boring. We need to spice things up. Instead, <laughs> I start with the positive and say, oh man, remember when we did that thing, that felt so good. Or last night when you spoke to me that way, it just made me feel so excited and close to you. So I start with something positive that's genuine. And sometimes you're going to have to reach into the past for that genuine compliment and that's okay. And then I'm going to make an inquiry so that it doesn't become this one-sided conversation where I'm asking for what I want and not making space for you. So I might say, you know, what did you think of that? Or is that something you enjoyed? Or is there anything that's been on your mind? Or, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I was listening to the podcast with Dr. Dustin Miller, and he talked about sexual resolutions. I was going to set a, a resolution that we try new things. How do you feel about that? And then I'm going to zip my lips and shut it and listen. And then I'm going to make a specific request. So rather than a broad request, like let's try new things, or we need to, like, we need to spice things up. I'm going to say, you know, one thing I was thinking about was like a penis ring or one thing I was thinking about was a bullet vibe or one thing I was thinking was that maybe we could draw our fantasies and see where that leads us. So something very specific and manageable. So that's the communication piece. On the practical side of how do you, you know, spice things up, there are so many things you can do. What I would suggest is can you add something to something you're already doing. So for example, if you're brand new to sex toys, rather than ordering the entire shop or, you know, ordering like, you know, a harness, a thigh harness or something like that, that might be a little bit more advanced. Maybe you say, okay, this is how we usually have sex. We usually have sex. Um, it's usually oral. Okay. Oral on a vulva. Well, what goes really well with oral with a vulva? Okay. Maybe it's a flat lay on vibe. So we're going to add it to something we're already doing. We're going to wait until we're highly aroused to add that novel experience so that we're already feeling comfortable and uninhibited and the adrenaline, oxytocin, endorphins have flooded the body. So I think that's an option. And then, I mean, the most practical of things, and this is what we're doing right now, and this is why I know you host this podcast in the first place, is to talk about sex, right? To have meaningful conversations beyond what do you like and dig a little deeper to why do you like it? Like if there's one conversation you're going to have in the new year, I'd encourage you to talk about your core erotic feeling. And this is going to lead to novelty. So your core erotic feeling is the emotion that you associate with getting in the mood for sex. Like how do you need to feel in order to get in the mood? Do you need to feel 
loved? Do you need to feel appreciated? Do you need to feel challenged? Do you need to feel submissive? Do you need to feel dominant? It's different for everyone. And then once you work out your core erotic feeling, you can move on to your elevated erotic feelings, which are the feelings that take sex to the next level. And if people want to explore that concept a little bit more deeply, I do have a whole podcast on it, which I'm sure you can link to if that's okay with you. (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, Jess, you're so good. I think that advice is all wonderful and spot on. And I like that idea about sort of sexual fantasy charades, right? Where you kind of draw your erotic fantasies and, you know, you can turn it into a game, you know, maybe guess like what this fantasy is. That could be a lot of fun. Actually, little side story. (laughs) There was one person who asked me to sign a a copy of my book for them and they asked for me to illustrate it. And so I drew pictures of the top seven sexual fantasies. They were not sexy because I can only draw stick figures, but I think... I somehow got the message conveyed there. You're a good sport. Yeah. I draw at the same level as you. Like, I think I have the fine motor skills of like a, maybe a seven-year-old on average. So, but that's the fun of it, right? If I draw my fantasy, you're not going to know what it is. Like, we're going to have to have a laugh and a conversation. Yeah. And I think that that's another fun thing about it is that if you kind of turn it into a game and you can laugh a little bit, like that's good. Like there's nothing wrong with a little bit of laughter when you're having sexual conversations or even when you're having sex, like sex can be fun. It doesn't have to be all serious all the time. Yes, yes. (laughs) Agreed. Okay, so my next resolution is to expand your definition of sex. Now, sex isn't just one thing, but a lot of people define it very narrowly as just vaginal or anal penetration. However, research tells us that the more activities people engage in during sex, the more likely they are to have an orgasm, and that's true across genders. And further, people who have more expansive definitions of sex tend to be more sexually satisfied over time because they have more options on the menu when, say, one partner isn't in the mood for penetration, but they're open to other things. So, Jess, why do you think it's important to expand your definition of sex, and how do you think we should be defining sex? Great question. Sex really means different things to different people. And one thing that I see, you know, just leading into this, is that when people run into challenges with sex, that is when they start to expand their sexual repertoire and expand their definitions of sex. And so many of them report the same response, which is, oh my God, like we thought this was a problem. Like we were having trouble with erections or we were having painful penetration or we were having difficulties in terms of like timing. But now that we've expanded our definition, the solutions that we've approached with have made sex all the richer. We wish we had discovered these things when we were so much younger prior to issues arising. So it's a practical reason. The more things you do, the more exciting it can be. The more things you try, especially with regard to novelty, the more risk you're taking. And risk is what makes sex exciting. So even if you have been with the same lover for a long time and you know them really well and you know what makes them tick. Like I know with my partner, it's like left ball, right nipple, left ball, night, right nipple. Um, (laughs) I can, sure, I can finish them off. I can maybe help to bring them to orgasm, but it's actually not that exciting when you know what's coming next. Like we know these studies around dopamine, which is associated with pleasure, reward, motivation. And we know that dopamine levels can double when the anticipation of the reward becomes unpredictable, right? And so when you expand your definitions of sex, you try new things. Things become more predictable. It just becomes all the more exciting. And you're not cutting off pathways to pleasure, right? Like people can have orgasms from their nipples, from their armpits, from their lower back, from their feet. Now, and I'm not adding to a list of like, check, check, check. I don't want people to feel like, well, I must have that type of orgasm. But just knowing that pleasure 
can be derived from so many different things, from the physical to the emotional, to the relational, to the verbal, to the visual, reminds us that the world is your sexual oyster, right? Just like with food, you know, there's a dish I really love. Let's just say I love like dumplings, Chinese dumplings, okay? I love them so much, but I don't want them every day at every meal because as yummy as they are, I'd get bored of them. And so we know variety is the spice of life. Yes, we have the data to support it, but just from a practical perspective, most of us want change, right? We want to be excited. Now, we have different thresholds for risk. We have different requirements for excitement, different thresholds for boredom as well. And so if you are with a partner or partners, those are things you actually have to communicate about. Because like if I look at my partner and I, uh, we have very different tolerance for risk, very different. Like I get bored much more quickly. I can tolerate a lot more risk. And so I need to communicate why I need that, like why that works for me. And similarly, I need to listen to how he's feeling. So we're not just doing what one of us wants. Because honestly, if we, if we only do what he wants, I might get bored. And if we only do what I want, it might feel too threatening and destabilize our relationship. Yeah, I think that's all great advice and very true. And something I just want to add to that is that, you know, if you are trying new things, there are going to be things you try that you might not like so much, right? Because sometimes you don't know how you're going to feel about it until you try it. And so, yes, you know, sometimes you'll try things and they won't work out and you won't really like it, but you're still learning about yourself and what it is that turns you on and gets you going. And that when you're adding this novelty in, it creates a variable reinforcement schedule, right? Where it's just like playing a slot machine where you don't have the huge payout in jackpot like every single time, but sometimes you're going to get that huge payout and it's going to feel really great and amazing. And so it ties in with this idea of why we don't want sex to be predictable and be the exact same every time. And if you're adding in that novelty, you're occasionally going to discover things that just take pleasure to these new heights that you never otherwise would have found if you hadn't stepped a little bit out of your comfort zone and tried something new. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, a lot of people make resolutions to better their physical or mental health, which is great, but this can also have benefits for your sex life because physical health, mental health, and sexual health are all intimately interconnected. So if you can piggyback some broader health resolutions onto your sexual resolutions, you can get some positive spillover effects. So can you speak to some of the aspects of physical and mental health people might want to think about as they're making their sexual New Year's resolutions so that they're tapping into that potential spillover benefit where at the same time as they're improving their overall health, they're boosting sexual performance and satisfaction? Absolutely. So we know that pleasure we know that orgasms, we know that satisfying sex lives are positively correlated with better mental health outcomes, better physical health outcomes. And there's a, a kind of a, a leapfrog effect. We know that a positive sex life is good for relationships. And we know that relationships are tied to a wealth or happy relationships, <laughs> fulfilling relationships are tied to a wealth of positive health outcomes, right? We know that, for example, when you have the support of a loving relationship, you have better recovery outcomes from surgery, from cancer, from you know heart disease. We know that when sex is good in a relationship, you tend to feel closer. There tends to be either less conflict or you manage conflict more effectively. 
All of these elements are tied in to reduce risk of depression, a better support when you are feeling anxious, all of these different elements of your mental health. So they all absolutely go hand in hand. And so I guess if you're thinking about resolutions, you let's just say you're going to work out more. You're going to work out once or twice a week or three times or whatever it may be. Maybe you don't feel motivated. One way to motivate yourself is to remember that people who work out more also have more sex and more satisfying sex. People who work out more have more positive body image, and that is also tied oftentimes to more satisfying sex and more confidence in the bedroom. So I think we can use it as a motivating factor as well as an outcome-related factor. On the flip side, we see this correlation between, for example, exercising more and having more sex. That doesn't mean it's causal necessarily. It's not like one leads to the other, but it may be bidirectional. So you might think about, you know what, if I prioritize sex, that's good for my mood. When my mood is boosted, I'm more likely to want to work out. Or when I prioritize sex, I have a better night's sleep. And oh my Lord, a better night's sleep is correlated with all that. Like if I could change one thing in my life, it's my damn sleep. <laughs> like I really struggle with sleep. And I really like, every year when I think about resolutions and I don't formally make resolutions, but anytime I think about what I want to change, it really is sleep because when you have a good night's sleep, you have improved cognitive functioning. You are more emotionally in tune. You are more rational. You're better able to manage or ward off conflict. You feel closer to your partner. You make better food decisions. You're more likely to move. Like it's all tied together. And, and it's interesting because you probably know this. Everybody kind of wants the pill. They're like, well, how do I improve my sex life? Well, oftentimes to improve your sex life, it involves lifestyle changes. So I'm so glad that you brought this up, that tie in between physical, mental, relational, sexual health. Yeah. And I think everything you said there is so important, especially the part about sleep. I definitely need to resolve <laughs> to get more sleep next year because things have been very busy this year. And, you know, when you're sleeping better, everything in life is better, including your sex life. Man, how do now, we do it? Can you get a sleep expert, please? I need like a sleep doula. You know those people who get sleep doulas for their babies? I need a personal adult sleep doula to just rub my head and coo. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like what I need as well. Now, we have much more to discuss, including tips for tuning out distractions during sex. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsors. If you're recording a podcast, you need the most reliable and high-quality recording program out there, which is why I use Zencaster. It's easy to use, and you're going to love the results. Sign up today for a free two-week trial and use my exclusive discount code, SEXANDPSYCH, P-S-Y-C-H, to save 40% off their professional plan. Visit Zencaster.com to learn more. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. Looking to boost your bedroom game? Promescent is here to help you have better sex. Check out their signature delay spray, which has been clinically shown to help men last longer in bed. They also have a female arousal gel, lubricants, Vitaflux supplements, and so much more. Permescent offers a 60-day money-back guarantee, free shipping on orders over $10, and discreet packaging to guarantee privacy. Learn more and place your order at permescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T.com. And we're back. I'm speaking with sexologist Dr. Jessica O'Reilly. My next resolution is to learn to be more in the moment during sex. 
If you aren't in the moment during sex, there's a good chance that you're going to find it difficult to stay aroused and to have an orgasm because you're so focused on the distracting thoughts that are popping into your mind, such as how you look, how you sound, or all the things you need to do after sex, like things around the house or things at work. So how do you get out of your head in bed? You know, what can you do to be more in the moment during sex and tune out those distracting thoughts that interfere with sexual performance and pleasure? So this is my favorite topic, speaking about mindful sex and being in the moment and being present. And it is so layered. It's not as simple as like, here's one quick thing you can do now. Sure, there are strategies in the moment, but I do think that learning to practice mindfulness throughout your life, throughout your day can be so helpful because we tend to move through life mindlessly, right? Like we're talking to one person, but we're also checking our phone. We're returning our email, but we've got YouTube playing in the background. And that multitasking leads to hypervigilance, leads to leads to overstimulation. And it is so hard to be in the moment. This is something I definitely struggle with. I'm going to just give myself a shameless plug here. So I have an online course called Mindful Sex, which I co-host with Dr. Reese Malone. And in this program, we walk you through techniques to be more mindful every day in just a couple of minutes. So can you wake up and before you reach for your phone, before you do anything, you take seven deep breaths and just tune in to the sensations in your body. So in through the nose, out through the mouth. Can you, for example, if you have a partner, rest your head on their chest in the morning and just tune into the sound of their heartbeat, which for me is so grounding and so gratitude inducing and reminds you how small you are and how just this little muscle is keeping them alive, keeping you alive. So sometimes mindfulness is about tuning in to one or more of your five senses, because when it comes to sight, smell, sound, taste, and touch, you cannot do any of those things in the past or the future. You can only do them in the present. So in our mindful sex program, it's a video course where we walk you through mindful breathing. We walk you through emotional presence. Emotional presence refers to really just tuning into the sensations in your body when you experience a feeling. So if I say I'm feeling anxious and my my therapist will always ask, well, what does that feel like in your body? right? Like, well, how does it show up? For me, anxiety is rocking back and forth. Like, I feel like I have ants in my pants. And if I don't move, and if everyone doesn't shut up, I'm going to lose it. Uh, That's my anxiety. Someone else's anxiety is tension in their butt. Someone else's anxiety feels like sweating under their armpits. Everybody's anxiety can show up differently. And emotional presence helps us to recognize emotions so that we can pay attention to the physical symptoms, perhaps adjust them, and that affects the way we feel. Then we move on to mindful touch. And this is like, this is a practice that you do where you you touch your own hand or a partner touches your hand and arm for like five or 10 minutes. And all you do is tune into the sensations. And this is to practice, you know, the old school version of sensate focus where I am focused only on the physical sensations, the temperature, the texture, the stroke, the rhythm, all of that jazz. What does it feel like? And people will say, I can't, I can't sit through that. Like I can't handle that. Well, if five minutes of someone touching your hand feels overwhelming, I imagine it's going to feel different when their mouths are on your genitals. So we do like different touch exercises, a facial caress, a full body caress, a non-genital full body caress before we move on to genitals. And if you 
where to walk yourself through this program. So I'll just mention the program's available at happiercouples.com, happiercouples.com for the mindful sex course. I really believe it can be life-changing, right? I really believe that if you put the time in, it can be life-changing. I get it. Not everybody has that time or is going to make that commitment. So back to your question. If you're just in the moment and you're feeling distracted, a couple of things you can do. Tune in just to the sound of your own breath. Slow down your breath. Grab hold of the covers and feel them between your fingers so you have something to focus on that isn't performance-based. Ask your partner to whisper in your ear. Play with sensory deprivation because then you might be, like, let's say you're distracted by piles of laundry. Fine. Turn down the lights or wear a mask over your eyes. If you're distracted by sounds like the kids in the next room or your parents or your roommates, Run a white noise machine, play overwhelmingly loud music. Like you have all these practical options that you can use in the moment. Also, the most important thing is forgive yourself. Like it's no big deal. So you got got a little distracted. Not every sexual experience has to be perfect. Like it doesn't have to be overwhelming like it is in the movies because you don't have an art director and six camera ops and, you know, all the different camera assists and everybody on set. You've just got you two and it's going to be hopefully an enjoyable, if not, if imperfect experience. So go easy on yourselves. Yeah. I think that forgiveness piece for the self is so important because, you know, our bodies don't always do what we want them to do. Not every experience is going to turn out exactly the way that we want it to. And so, yes, go easy on yourself. But I think something else that can often help with this idea of wanting to be more in the moment during sex ties in with our earlier discussion about sexual novelty. Because if you're trying something new, that can really boost arousal and really help to pull you into that moment and focus on that more intense sensation, whether it's visual or physical or whatever it is. So I think sometimes novelty and mindful sex kind of go hand in hand there where they can kind of support one another. Absolutely. Love that. Now, my next resolution, and this kind of ties in a little bit with what you were talking about previously about touching your partner more, is to just incorporate more touch into your relationship outside of the context of sex. We know that non-sexual intimate touch is one of the keys to a happy and healthy relationship. And Masters and Johnson discovered this long ago in their pioneering sex therapy work in the 1960s. They found that intimate touch can actually help resolve a wide range of sexual difficulties because it promotes relaxation, it increases feelings of bondedness, and it enhances communication. Likewise, as I discussed in a previous episode of this podcast with Dr. Amy Muse back in episode 33, we talked about how touching each other after sex, such as by spooning and cuddling, can further enhance your sexual connection and your feelings of sexual satisfaction. So Jess, can you speak to the importance of touch in everyday life with your partner and offer any suggestions on ways of, you know, kind of how you can incorporate more touch just into your daily life? Absolutely. So we, again, have a wealth of data showing that physical touch is associated with all these positive health outcomes from growth to confidence, to connectedness, uh, to relaxation, to lower stress levels. Like we know that when your partner holds your hand, it can help to reduce, it's associated with reduced levels of cortisol. It's associated with lower blood pressure, slower heart rates, even synchronization of bodily functions, right? Your heart rates actually start to synchronize. And so I, I want to just start by saying that everybody's desire for touch is different, however, right? So we can have data suggesting one thing, but you might be someone who feels overwhelmed by touch and who doesn't like to be touched in certain circumstances. So the most important piece for me around physical affection and touch 
is talking about it, talking about what you enjoy and why you enjoy it, what you don't enjoy and why you don't enjoy it, and being very specific about the types of touch you enjoy. So for example, if I'm sitting here on a call with you, I would love it if my partner came up from behind and massaged my shoulders. But my partners switch roles. If I did that in the middle of one of their phone calls, they might find that very distracting. And so we need to talk about it. Similarly, I would love, you know, if I walk, came home after a long day and they took my boots off and rubbed my feet, but my partner not, might not like having their feet touched. And that's why we have to really facilitate com conversations around what touch means to you, when you want it, how you want it. The way I want to be touched when I'm being seduced is different than the way I might want to be touched right before at orgasm is also different than the way I might want to be touched post-orgasm. So conversation, communication in voluminous and specific ways, I think is the most effective way here. Now, it doesn't have to be formal, like you don't have to sit down and you go through the checklist of how I like to be touched. It might be as simple as like we're lying there in the afterglow and I say, oh, I want you to kiss my neck, or I'd love it if you put your, your hand on my chest, or I actually need some space right now. After I orgasm, I just need a little bit of my, me time, right? So we just need to let our partners know what we enjoy. And then be willing to learn. I think one of the struggles we run into in relationships and you know in life is that we generalize personal experiences to others. So if I like one thing, I tell my partner, you should like this. Or if an ex likes something, or if nine out of 10 people like something, data is only relevant insofar as we can use it to guide options, conversations, strategies. But if, you know, my partner says, actually, I don't like to be touched after sex. Cool. They know their body and their needs best. I think that sometimes people come and want us to fix their partners. They're like, no, he's supposed to want this or no, no, women like that. And we make assumptions based on gender identity and sexual orientation instead of just asking our partners what they're into. But I think it's a great resolution for the new year um, to think about physical affection, to potentially up your physical affection. Uh, and one thing that I love is to remind folks that sometimes the best time and the most important time to be physically affectionate is when you don't want to be, right? Like maybe uh -huh. you've been fighting and so you're kind of rolled over on other sides of the bed. Can you reach out and put your hand on their shoulder, right? Can you make that bid for attention with physical affection? And really think about, you know, we've we've gone through, uh, you know, a stressful period for almost a couple of years now. If you know that physical affection soothes your partner, but you're not comfortable with it, perhaps, you know, you, you come from a culture or a background or a family where physical affection was doled out or used in a manipulative way, can you do the work to overcome your hangups so that you can give them more of what they need? Yeah, I think that's all great advice. Now, as we've been talking about today, we've discussed things that people might want to consider trying next year, but there are probably also some things that they don't want to do as well. So for example, I think it's great to center your resolutions around improving sexual quality, but resolutions around simply increasing sexual frequency might not have the desired effect. So in other words, if you're just resolving to have more sex, I think that could potentially be counterproductive. So can you speak to that? You know, why do you think it's important to focus your resolutions more on improving sexual quality rather than just saying, we're going to have a lot more sex? Yeah, I think that we get very hung up on frequency. Like that's one of the most common questions I receive. Do you, do you find the same? People want to know how often yep. should we have sex? <laughs> yep. But really, it's not about how often. It really is about what 
what is the why and what is the result? Like if I do want sex more often, let's dig into why that may be. Is it because, you know what, I feel really close to you after sex? Or is it, you know, I have a better night's sleep after sex? Or is it that I feel just more in tune and more relaxed in life and de-stressed after I have sex? And if that's the case, and perhaps there's a discrepancy in desire like there is in most partnerships, uh, especially, you know, if you're with one partner, what can I do to fill that gap, right? Can I take care of myself? But I fully agree with you that if we could focus on quality over quantity or frequency, we'd be so much better off. And, And also, not even on measurement, right? Like we're so focused on performance and how good is it? Where do you rate it? And that, that's okay. Like for some of us, that is a very useful tool, but for others that just adds to the pressure and pressure, of course, is the antithesis to pleasure. So I would say, you know, tune into pleasure, whatever that entails. Like pleasure doesn't have to be orgasm or sexual. Pleasure can be an emotional connection. It can be relational harmony. It could be something you do together that's pleasurable and non-sexual, like eating a meal or enjoying a fine wine. So if I could think about, you know, resolutions for the new year, I'd love it to be, you know, putting a focus on pleasure and feelings of love and warmth. And again, acknowledging that how I define that might be very different than how you define that. Yeah. Love all of that. So don't resolve to just have more sex, resolve to have better sex and to get more in touch with yourself and your partner and to better understand what you do and don't like so that you can take that into the bedroom. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Jess. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you, listen to your podcast and take your online courses? Absolutely. It's the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast on all podcast platforms. And I'm Sex with Dr. Jess on all social media. And the courses are at happiercouples.com. Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, which was made on Zencaster, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Lay Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Lay Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.